I can tell you that on the Zoom, it was really quiet. It was very hard to hear. Maybe that was Better is a handful with quiet 
then two handfuls with soil and a chasing after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, the case of solitary individuals without sons or brothers, yet there is no end to all their toil, and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. For whom am I toiling, they ask, and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other, but woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who will no longer take advice. One can indeed come out of prison to reign, even though born poor in the kingdom. I saw all the living who, moving about under the sun, follow that youth who replaced the king. There was no end to all those people whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a chasing after him. This is the word of the Lord. Kohelet is still wrestling with this existential crisis brought on through noticing that all is the Hebrew word table. Vanity, absurdity, vapor life, if you will. Pointless, right? It's like chasing after the wind. The perspective here in chapter 4 seems to have shifted from the previous chapters, though, now bringing attention to the oppressed. And while there is no clear preferential option for the poor, as Gustavo Gutierrez would call it, Hebrew scholars assert that the first lines of this text are really a call to join in releasing the poor or the oppressed. We have criticized and might continue to criticize Kohelet for failing to name their position of privilege or recognizing their complicity in the system and structure that perpetuates this very oppression causing so much turmoil. And if I'm being honest, this is something that I often fail to recognize. I am learning, and it's usually through those companions that bring matters to my attention in the present moment. Verse 6 says, Better is a handful with quiet than two handfuls of toil. I enjoy quiet as much as, maybe even more so, uh, than any other privileged white-bodied person in our society today. But quiet isn't always an option. Those engaged in child-rearing know this quite well. Individuals who can afford to recommend the luxuries of quiet and rest and reflection can cause suffering for those who are not afforded such luxuries. Similarly, in verse 7, Kohelet seems to pity those with no family. We might do well that to remember that for readers of the day, especially women and children, that lacking family meant economic insecurity. These verses are often also extrapolated to the context of marriage. We hear them in wedding ceremonies. But they cover much, much more than that. The wider perspective is recognition that solitary living or living outside of community 
in any form makes dealing with inequity or oppression tough in this world. It's unbearable. Two are better than one, a threefold force better yet. As I read the text this week, especially at the end of the chapter, I imagined that foolish king as someone who no longer takes advice because they don't have any friends. They have no companions. And I imagine that poor but wise youth, even one coming out of prison, as someone who had learned to live in community and found, strangely, strangely enough, some companions in their deepest needs and maybe their darkest moments. Among many things worthy of our attention in this parable-like text, we might be challenged to reconsider the harm of the so-called justice system that enforces retributive rather than restorative justice, to name just one thing that we might consider. By now, you've probably recognized that there's a pattern in Ecclesiastes. Kohelis keeps coming back to Hebel, to the absurdity, because life difficulties are enough to break the spirit of any one person. As we enter the circularities of life, as we find our place in the unfolding story of God and align ourselves with the transforming work of the spirit, I think the text leads us to ask the question or to consider where and with whom do we place our energies? Joined with friends or companions, we are not easily snapped under the weight of life. There's strength, leverage, and support when we are engaged in relationships, whether it's with friends or family, neighbors, advocates, abolitionists, activists. More than anything in this text, I hear the voice of God maybe shouting at us to recognize the value of companions, to allow Christ in one another to meet us in this life, in the present. We are not alone, and we cannot live alone. Those of us, myself included, who think we can have fallen prey to one of the most oppressive systems of power at work in the world. It's the force that excludes, that shuts down our humanity and dismisses our needs. We miss out on relationships of mutuality. I have a lot of good friends, you all, but I'm crying. Many are. I've been reading this book. It's got a heck of a title. It's Christina Cleveland's newest book. It's called uh, God is a Black Woman. I cannot possibly share with you the wisdom that is held here in this work, but she identifies what she says. Um, she identifies toxic mas masculinity present in the image of what she calls, and this is all one word, white male God that whips us into submission by teaching us that we must conceal our human needs and imperfections in order to avoid punishment or social rejection. We need one another, mutual relationships, friends and companions. 
who know us and meet us in our deepest needs. She describes a life-altering experience, and I'm going to read a bit for you of what she says after she describes it. I'm not going to read that part. She says this, I learned to handle it all by myself. We all learn this at some point in our lives, whether it is because our pain accidentally fell through the cracks in a generally loving family, or because we are victims of the strategic evil like sexual assault, transphobia, domestic violence, or ableism. We all know what it's like to feel alone in our need, to face real terror and know that no one is coming to help us. In our moment of greatest need, greatest exposure, greatest vulnerability, we frantically search for help, but all we encounter is white male God's anti-nurturing world, which scorns our needs. So we suspend our search for God who welcomes our needs, bunker down in white male God's anti-nurturing regime, and, and stop putting our needs out there. She then continues to present the sacred black feminine whom she came to know more deeply on a pilgrimage throughout France in search of the black Madonnas, who help us, as she describes, die to our false selves, the counterfeit identities that are captive to society's expectations and beliefs. Nurture is the antithesis of oppression. Cleveland continues to share that if we are ever going to transform our woefully anti-nurturing society, we need a God who not only tolerates our human need, but cherishes it. This is God with us, and who for Cleveland is most profoundly experienced in the image of God found in the Black Madonna. One in particular whose official name is Our Lady of the Sick, Cleveland refers to as she who cherishes our hot mess. <laughs> yes, maybe the voice of God through Kohelet is shouting at us to recognize the value of companions, to allow Christ in one another to meet us in this life, in the present in our deepest joy, and in our hot mess. I'm going to leave us with uh, some wondering today. I wonder where and with whom you place your energies. Who meets you in your deepest need as friend or companion? As Christ, who cherishes your hot mess? Who nourishes you in the very spheres and circularities of life? Who will be with you in all the toil, in all the lonely or cold seasons? And is this not who we are called to be? Cherishes. So let us soak in the wisdom of Kohelet, forming relationships of mutuality with those who both liberate us from oppression and stand with us in releasing the oppressed. Cherishing those friends who bring comfort when life seems to have no meaning. Allowing their companionship to move us to carpe diem. For they are God. Thank mm -hmm. you.